1: Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. We were joined a couple of weeks back by the voice of boxing, Mr. Colin Hart, to discuss some heavyweight classics. Today, we're going to discuss some of Colin's work in covering Irish fighters on the international stage. Colin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks, yeah. Um, Some
2: of them, you know, Irish fighters, uh, one thing about Irish fighters, they're fighters, as well as boxers, I mean, they love they love a scrap, as you know. Uh, one of my favourite guys was Pat McCormack. Now, uh, Pat was born in Ireland, of course, but he lived in England, and he was the British light weight champion. They don't call it light welterweight anymore, what is it now? a uh, junior something uh, super lightweight. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No. Anyway, you old know, Pat. Um, he was never a great fighter, but he gave everything in the ring. I um, mean, he would never stop punching. He was uh, a great character. And Paddy Byrne, who lived in Brighton, his manager, took him to fight in Boston. And, of course, as you know, Boston is an Irish city. Irish but I mean, you know, it's a green city, put it that way, in more ways than one. And he was fighting a guy called Tony Petronelli, who must have had something to do with Goody and Pat Petronelli, who managed Hagler. And this is Paddy's story to me. He said, Paddy said, I got him on the local uh one of the local TV stations, you know, as part of the publicity, the fight, and as you know, in Boston, they love an Irishman in Boston, a sportsman. He's you know, from Ireland and he's gonna kind of perform in Boston, they just love it. Anyway, the presenter did the interview and at the end of him, he said uh Pad, he said um do you do anything outside of boxing? And Pat said, yes. I paint. Oh, he said, in orders. No, I said Pat, in houses.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that irony. My friend a good friend of mine, Jerry Callan, tells the story, but it's got it's got an expletive before houses in a Dublin twang. But uh, that sounds like Pat McCormick, all right.
2: Yeah, it's
1: great. But now I mean who is the greatest?
2: Irish fighter I've ever seen, and people immediately expected to say Barry McGuigan, who was one of the great Irish fighters and a great personality. We all know his era was during the troubles and he united the nation and when he fought Pedroza for the uh, world title, I forget, it must have been about 15,000 Irishmen, came over on planes and boats, to be at the ringside of the football round, the QPR football ground. It was an incredible night, and he knew it, he could those on the floor, and uh, he won the title, and it was a great occasion. And but Barry only defended the title three times, and it's the third time he lost. Uh, and I'm convinced he should never have lost to uh, Cruz, ever. I mean, he was a much better fighter than Cruz. What beat him was the Las Vegas climate. I was on the plane weeks before the fight with Barry. I was playing cards with Barry, uh, Tommy Holmes, Holmes, one of Trent's management team, Prentice Bird. And we were on a whistle stop tour with Duran, who was also on that bill, uh, going around various uh, New York City selling the fight, you know, to television. And we were playing cards and we were talking about Vegas. And I said to Barry, Barry, you know, you've got to make sure you get proper medical advice before you go, uh, you know, before you get there because of the heat. Now it's terribly, terribly hot. And Barry said, oh, I love the heat. I said, really? I said, "Um, and as you know, his skin is as white as parchment. And I said to Mari, what's the hottest you've ever experienced? He said, well, when I was on holiday in Mallorca, it was nearly 90 degrees. And I looked at Tommy Hearns. I said, Tommy, tell him what the temperature was in the ring, the night you fought, right then, the first fight. He said, 122 degrees. The ring lights, besides the, the, the desert climate, the ring lights, powerful ring lights, and television lights in the ring, increases the temperature of 20, 30 degrees. The fight went on at six in the evening when the sun was still. up. God knows what the temperature was in the ring. Now, sitting next to me in the press seats was Bluff stock. Who was very famous as a racing writer, but he was working for the Sunday Times that night. Roth will tell you, I'm doing a running report of the fight to London, to my paper in London. And I think it was after about three or five hours, I could see the valley was starting to melt in the heat. And I said to the guy who was taking that, Who in the smelly here? And the guy said, What do you mean? I said, he hates killing killing McGregor. Well, to put no too fun, or point to me, he really did kill him. Because as you know, at the end of the fight, he was dehydrated, physically spent, and he ended up being rehydrated in hospital overnight. night. That's what beat him, not Cruz. So McGregor had a great career. He was a great popular favourite. In Ireland and in Britain. So who was better? Stevie Collins. You look at Stevie Collins' record. He beat Nigel Benn twice, stopped him twice. He beat Chris Eubank twice. He defended the WBA, BO, Super Middleweight title seven times and was undefeated when he retired. And he only retired because he couldn't persuade uh, Ray Jones, uh, Roy Jones Union to get in the ring with it. To me, Steve was the greatest Irish fighter there's ever been going mm-hmm. to the record Wars. David McCauley, again, a tremendous fighter, a tremendous world champion. I should never get to fight now. He has, you've got him twice, both fights of the year. now, um, yeah, that's it. incredible. Fight. Were you over at those fights? Yeah, they both. Good. And uh, Dave, I think he defended about five times. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, he never really got the recognition he deserved. I don't know about Ireland, but certainly not in uh, England, because he followed the
1: It was a bit like Holmes following our he, you know, he was a truly big fighter. I think he fought a British title fight at Loftus Road in 1985. And yeah. um, I think when he won the title against Duke McKenzie, this is off the top of my head, but we did a, we did a podcast with Dave Boy a few months ago. But I think when yeah. he won the title against Duke McKenzie, it was five or six days after Barry McGuigan's final contest against yeah. Jim McDonald. So he's, he's literally yeah. following on and sometimes that can make yeah. a star, but sometimes it can break one. That's why I don't I mean you you'll tell me whether he went, he didn't get the recognition in Ireland he deserved,
2: I don't think, because of the power of the um now who else we got? I mean obviously the recent one. Carl Flanton was a hell of a good fighter and he's still very fresh in our memory. He only retired last year. I will hand it to Carl. Not many people do it. He retired and he should have retired. He realized that he wasn't the same fighter and that if he continued, he was going to get hurt. And he had the good sense to say, I've had my time. You know, I've had a great career. I've had my time. And now's the time to, to,
1: to get out and enjoy the rest of my life.
2: Very sensible.
1: Like a lot of the old Irish pros, he actually walks into a good media career as well, because we saw Barry McGuigan for years on Sky and on other, other places as well. And he's still, he's still got a media career. He's- Writing columns, I think, for the uh, the Mirror, isn't he Barry? And he's doing other bits. And Andy, oh, yeah. Andy Lee there is on the zone as part of the commentary. Barry, Barry had a great personality. I mean,
2: uh, you know, very intelligent guy, and uh, you know, he uh, he yeah. had the charisma even outside the ring, uh, which maybe Col has got, I don't know. Um,
1: because he's a very charismatic character, right uh, there. Barry. I would imagine mm-hmm. Carl probably does. He he seems to resonate a lot with I guess mm-hmm. the the modern yeah. generation you'd call it like absolutely so.
2: Um,
1: it's just starting so mm-hmm. let's hope you can go into become a uh, a media personality. You were saying uh, before we came on air that you, your first recollection of an Irish boxer was while you were in school listening to the radio. Uh, yes, well my first,
2: um, um, I mean I've always been Coming from East London, you grow up with it. I mean, my father didn't tell me fairy stories. He told me about Ted Kidd-Lewis, Jack kidd Harry Misler, all the great East London fighters when he was a young man. And, uh, I mean, Ted Kidd-Lewis is the great hero in East End of London. As you know, he used to be a Jewish area. And Ted Kidd-Lewis is the greatest Jewish fighter who ever lived, in my opinion. And uh, his real name is Gershwin Mandelbaum, and he changed it to Ted Kidd Lewis. And uh, he went to America to fight Jack In and they fought twenty times. I think you know that. And it was in 1915, and they fought for the world middleweight title, and and Louis Peter. So he came back to London, and my father was then nine years of age, and Ted Kipling drove through East London. In an open top car. Well, I'm going to assure you in 1915 there weren't too many cars driving through East London, and certainly not um, open top ones. And running behind the car were these value urchins, including my old man. And Lewis was throwing pennies out the back for the kids to scramble for. And my old man was one of the kids scrambling for the pennies. So he grew up idolizing Kid Lewis. And uh, in uh, 1922, when he was 16, he saved up money to go on a, on a coach trip, the Charabank, as they called it in those days, to Brighton to see Kip Lewis fight a heavyweight um, before he pulled George Carpentier for the heavyweight Championship. And uh, Lewis knocked the heavyweight out in about two rounds. He was one hell of a fight, kidless. Anyway, that's where I got my number boxing to my own man. And yeah, uh, you know, he, he was steeped in it. And anyway, I was 11 and uh, I was allowed to stay up late to listen to BBC Radio. Raymond Endel, he was a commentator. W. Bellington Dorby was a man who was doing the interbound summaries, a famous referee. And the fighter was Vinti Monaghan from Belfast, who was fighting Dando Marino or Marine, I think Marino, of America. I think he was actually a Hawaiian, um, which of course wasn't part of America back then, and uh, it was in the 50th state uh, for the world flyweight title. And uh, Vinti Monaghan won 15 round decision and was claimed the claimed heavyweight anyway, flyweight champion of the world. And Minty, after every victory, grabbed him on the phone and sent him to me and seen um, uh, when Irish eyes are smiling. And he got the crowd to join in in number.
1: And so that was one of my early memories. Of Boston, and at, was least, an Irish at least um, Rinty Monaghan was, I suppose, the, uh, I was going to say the real McCoy, but that might be too on the nose because I was read yeah. you know, you always read often about, like, Boxing in the in, in the early day in the early days of the nineteen of the nineteen hundreds, the twentieth century was dominated by young Irish fighters and young Jewish fighters, particularly in America. And it so yeah. happened like you're of the Jewish faith, isn't that right, Colin? I'm I'm an Irish guy, and uh, but Jewish boxers in America used to assume Irish names to kind of have more crowd appeal in America. Is that? And I'm sure that's oh, something you know about. Uh, yeah, they they used to change their names to anglicise. Or Americanized,
2: and you know, I mean, uh, Ted, uh, Jackie Berg, uh, his real name is Judah Bergman. So they changed their names because it looked better on a, a flight drill. Mm. I mean, you couldn't imagine people saying Gershman, well, could you? There was a story, Can I you, don't know
1: how don't know how true it was. It was about Benny Leonard fighting against a guy called Irish Eddie Finnegan. Now, I haven't checked BoxRec to see how legit this is, but Benny Leonard is being kind of subjected to anti-Semitic jeers from the crowd. You know, I, I won't repeat them. And he he takes it out on poor old Eddie Finnegan. Anyway, he gives him an absolute molly whooping. Yeah. And afterwards, um Eddie Finnegan approaches him and speaks to him in Yiddish and tells him his name is really Seymour Rosenbaum.
2: Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've got a wonderful story which is true of the 1930s when Harry Levine, the, the promoter, was a fine manager, and they decided and they used to have wonderful arenas called Premierland uh, Premier Land and uh, uh, in the East End of London, which you know was a, like cockpits. So they used to fight fight like crazy, you know, to earn again, money was scarce, and so they used to fight like hell. And the story was. Then they had a dual Jewish heavyweight fight in the East End of London. And the tickets were sold out within minutes of them going on site. And the, it was a Jewish heavyweight from the East End. And I must admit, the names escaped me. And, uh, if they weren't champions or anything, it was just a fight. And they brought a Canadian Jewish guy in, allegedly, to fight this fight. And the same, the whole of the East End was in it. Got a bit of excitement and came the five day, and the two men got in the ring. And they actually called him to send that with their final instructions, the two Jewish boys. Went back to the corners for the opening bell, and one of these Jewish guys, the one from Canada, called him on me and crossed himself. He forgot. <laughs> it, was a, it was a riot. Uh, 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 ladies, I mean, uh, Max Meyer lied. Right? He had a star on his shoulder. He wasn't Jewish, but he looked good. He sold tickets. Even Max Meyer wasn't Jewish.
1: Speaking um, of selling tickets, it's actually something bizarrely, Muhammad Ali, even his presence, the greatest, when he rocked up in Crow Park in 1972, he didn't really seem to do. He fought out Blue Lewis. At Crow Park, the National GA said him. Were you over for that fight, Colin, in Crow in Croker? Sorry. Did Sorry. you make? Oh, did you make it over to um, Croke Park for Muhammad Ali versus Al Blue Lewis oh, in nineteen seventy two?
2: Did I? Oh, what a week that was. People forget Ronald Reagan was there, you know. At that point, he was then governor of California. Billy Conn came it. and now uh, oh. butting. So, cool. yeah, it was a promoter, and you know what? There were more chippers that night in Crow Park. You know, people were going for nothing, but actually paid. It was a global occasion. Out blue, Lewis. Um, I mean, he was uh, it was really a journeyman heavyweight, and Ali he wasn't champion that, he called himself the people's champion, and it was just one hell of a week, it really was.
1: Um, where, did you, where did you stay? Um, you don't
2: I, often stay in the fight hotel, so I, I stayed in the place that no longer exists. Yeah. Where did
1: all stay? The Oppenheim Country Club, it was called in Kiltyrnan, Yes,
2: did you it exist?
1: Um, I think under a different guise, but no, you I think you're you're, you're it, correct. It, yeah. you're Dublin Hills, yeah, the Dublin Mountains, yeah, they call them, but yeah, the hills really, it's Wicklow Mountains. Yeah, yeah but you're, yeah. you're 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 bang on. The Oppenheimer, I think, is the name of the accommodation we're and uh I'll
2: tell you a story again about Harley now. I mean, me and my one of my colleagues, Alan Hubbard, who was uh I mean he's been sponsored to the observer and he's my age, so he's retired long ago. W Harley came in for the Albert Lewis fight, flew into Dublin Airport and gave a press conference at the airport before he went off to Oppenheims. And Alan and I arranged To fly into Dublin Airport to be there in time for the press conference. Typical, flight was delayed an hour or more, and we got there, press conference had been and gone. So we jumped into a taxi, raced to the Oppenheim, ran into the lobby. In the lobby was Angelo Dundee, his brother Chris Dundee, was, as you know, famous promoter. Ali's mother, dead, his father, his, and, well, somebody else, and no Ali. So we go to Angela, who, of course, knew us extremely well. Angela, where's Ali? He said he's in bed. He's not feeling very well, he's so not a bit of a cold. I am oh my God. He said, well, what's the matter, guys? Well, we should go, I like, you know, stuff about him. He won't get up until five o'clock now. Deadlines are so. I won't say the exact exactly. And uh, Angelo said, and he said, let's go and make him up. We went down the oh, hall where his bedroom was. Angelo hammered on the door and he yelled, Get up, Chan. The British person come to see you. We heard him mumbling away. He opened the door. He was in the next bed with his brother, Rackman. He not only had us in. We were there two and a half hours before we left. And Ali decided to tell us how expensive life was with Belinda and the kids, went through the family budget, among other things. Can you imagine any other sportsman in the world who woke up after a transatlantic flight and having given the press conference at the airport? Now this is all on the record. It's all in, as we say, in countries, they have written all this. But, you know, when I think back, Joshua, Tyson, well any of them, I mean, Larry Holmes was very good. I mean, he was very accommodating. I mean, I went to Larry's home in Easton on one occasion. So, uh, you know, he was very close yeah. So these are the sort of experiences
1: I've had at the time were you kind of thinking like, I want Ali, I, I'm delighted with the access and it's wonderful to be here listening, I'm speaking so personally, but I want him to shut up <laughs> because I've got 800 words. And if I transcribe this, it's, you know, it's 15,000 the way you can speak. And I, like, what was your allocation? Like, so you're working, you're working for the Sun tabloid newspaper. Were you on Fight Week expected to fill maybe a thousand words a day or or was it more or less or kind of what, what was the expectation of you?
2: We didn't have these. And we didn't have cameras, We had notebooks, And obviously, you usually see, I found that if you use these, your, your mind's not thinking what they're saying. It's all going in the machine, and you'll listen to it later. Whereas, as a journalist, when you're interviewing somebody and you're using a notebook, you don't count down every word. You take down the relevant words. You'll say something, that's it. Move on. Yeah, that's and that's how that's how I worked. I mean, you listen to all between our hours. That's a
1: lot of words. Really, yeah, you're frazzled. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's like yeah. an audience with the point.
2: If I'm anybody, right? Oh yes, you mean two Irish fighters. We can before my time, but one, one in particular, Johnny Caldwell, who finished. Just about as I was starting to write about boxing, you know, as a boxing correspondent. But apparently he was a hell of a fighter, Royal bantamweight Champion. And he uh, he went to Brazil and fought Ada Joffrey, who was one of the great Banterweights of all time. And I think he went 13 rounds with Joffrey, but was beaten by him in Brazil. Um, and Freddie Gilroy was a great fighter, um, Irish champion. No world champion, but Rich Champion. And there's been so many of them. I mean, just take very like, close. He came with that much of new Eubank in Belfast. He lost the split decision against Chris Eubank. So well, they you know, Ray was probably not remembered by many. I remember him because he was a good honest and goodness uh you know performer.
1: Yeah, now he's, Ray definitely has the, the love and respect of his home city uh, of Belfast, because any time even in the kind of social media groups, whenever Ray's name is mentioned, he inspires a lot of uh, love and awe. Absolutely so. Uh, another mate of yours was uh, Brendan Ingle, who We sadly lost a couple of years ago. Brendan was one of the I don't know how to describe him.
2: I mean, he wasn't, he's not a saint, obviously, but the work he did in Sheffield with young people, getting them off the streets and into a gym and teaching them how to behave like good citizens. The work he did was immeasurable. I mean, he was he was an incredible man, Brendan, in many ways. And of course, he was a German fight to himself. But I mean, he taught, I mean, Hamed and all those guys, Johnny Nelson, all these world champions who came out of that gym in Sheffield. I mean, they all worshipped him. I went to Brendan's funeral in the cathedral in Sheffield. It was packed. Packed. They came from all over the country to attend his funeral. I mean, that's the measure of the man.
1: I think you described him in Copy as a pioneer, philosopher, social worker and a priest as well. Everything. Everything got into one. Yeah, and uh,
2: he was... I mean, the only thing is, of course, you know, his relationship with Harrod unfortunately broke down. Um, But the, I mean, if I may say, uh, you know, if if anybody represented the Barney Stone, it was uh, Brendan Ingall in the nicest possible way. He tells a story which, you know, I don't believe for me, but it's a great story. Yeah. How he discovered Hamlet. You know how he discovered Hamlet?
1: He was on a bus. Well, Brandon was on a bus and he was you going know, by a yeah. can. You know, bus.
2: And he was looking out the window and there was this little brown kid up against the fence with several kids trying to nail him and he was, and he thought, My word, this better can fight. A few days later, his father brought this kid into his gym. And that's how, I mean, a wonderful story. I mean, how about um, Castro? He turned him into
1: O'Toole, didn't he? Middleweight. That's right, yeah, yeah. Fidel Castro Smith. And he he made him O'Toole. Slugger O'Toole to appeal to the Irish middle.
2: Midlands. We sell tickets to the Irish. I mean, he had all these wonderful gimmicks But he was a, a very lovable guy. Unfortunately, his wife died as well a few months ago. Um, she was a lovely woman. So yes, yeah, so I my association with I mean, they weren't Irish born in Ireland, but you could say they were Irish with the finger was Yeah. Uh, from, Kevin uh, and Chris. I mean, great, great, I mean. Kevin, you know, should have been the white champion in the world. No discipline. He was a much better fighter than his brother, Chris. Um, and Kevin was a champion. We know, But he couldn't be world champion if he had, had the discipline to go with it. I mean, they all have their genius. So long record. You know, mean, um, Chris's motto, win or lose, drink your booze. That was Chris's motto. And I um, think and he, I had a he fought Bob Foster for the World Highway Championship the Wembley. I mean, he would not give in. He got a terrible hiding in the end. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Foster knocked him out looking too clown. The, the wildfires he gave him. Um, yeah, Kevin, I mean, he was, he would out drink his brother. And the thing about Chris, Freddie Hill was his trainer. Freddie could persuade Chris.
1: Stop drinking in six weeks, in four or five. No, no can Yeah, there's a there's quite a few more like them. I won't name. Them. I won't in, name. You know, I mean, I'm fortunate. Enough, but, uh, I went to both their funerals as well.
2: But uh, Kevin uh, went to live in Spain. You know, he was a brilliant artist.
1: Did you know that? Yeah, brilliant. I think I've read about it in the past. Yeah. Oh, he he had an exhibition uh, of his paintings in a very well-known uh central London gallery. Oh sorry, you don't you don't mean houses then, No, not like Pat McMahon. <laughs> no, he was oil, yeah. so uh, Yeah, there you go. Um, he um he went to live in Spain.
2: And he got uh he went he did all his money. And when he came back, I said to him once, how much did you get rid of in Spain, do you reckon? he was there for a year? Oh, he said about two hundred and fifty thousand so yes. pounds. He must have had a great time, so I must have done too. I can't
1: remember, either. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, well, you mentioned Prince Nassim Hamad, uh, brings me to kind of covering Wayne McCullough as well. Like Wayne, must oh, go down, must go down uh, as one of well, the greatest Irish well, fighters as well.
2: As Wayne, of course, was trained on my great hero, training hero, uh, Eddie part. and um, he still lives in America, you know, he lives between um. New Los Angeles and Vegas, uh, yeah. Um, and of course, he bought Hammond, and it was a lousy fight actually. Half led, mm. um, wasn't very good. And unfortunately, on the night uh, Wayne was worse, and uh, so Hammond won a decision. But, um,
1: I didn't see a lot of Wayne because it was mostly his fights for in America, yeah. But, well, regard- regarding, um, now, nah, is that like you? You spend a half century covering the sport. You're not going to get away without a couple of spats. And I think you'd previously had a bit of a fall now with George Foreman, which was all squared off in a humorous way. But Prince oh, now seemed that, that George weekend. And I, George and I got off to a very bad start, in way. Um, um, yeah, we were in
2: As I told you, British fighter Norman, and now uh, four or five British writers covering it. And we arranged with Bill Kaplan, his publicity guy, to interview for down the ringside. side. Sorry, I'm not talking about. Down the pool side at his hotel. And on the afternoon, foreman, you see, the foreman of today is like a benign Buddha. Right? Always smiling, friendly. When he was heading the way the world, he was a shock. He had a big upper haircut. He was sullen. He never wanted to be cooperative with the media. He was everything you didn't want him to be. And very menacing. He used to wear these dungarees with no shirt underneath Huge, huge man. Anyway, he didn't want to do this interview. He was in a bad mood. And he came down to the poolside late. probably kept us waiting an hour. And in those days, I used to change smoke. And I was some yards away from him. And suddenly this voice said, hey, you, put that out. And I looked around. It was George and I. I said, me? He said, yeah, you. And I said, St. please. And, of course, that really got his And You're he him say, please. And I was angry because I'm an East London boy, you know. We were poor, but at least we had good manners. <laughs> so I was fuming. I thought, I'm not going to get it. Anyway, the interview went on and he was talking about how proud he was of being an American. And he just knew this Joe Roman, who was a lie heavyweight anyway, in Tokyo. Knocked him out in 2000. And I said to him, George, how can you possibly be proud of beating out that poor little lie everywhere, Joe Roman?" And he looked at me in his hand the size of a shovel. He was coming in my direction to slap me. And... Kaplan died and said, hey, it down, fellas. Anyway, come many, many years later, I'm in Houston with Pat Caldell who's fighting Salvador Sanchez, and Bill captain was there, and he said, uh, I want you to have lunch tomorrow with an old friend of yours. I said, where is that? He said, um, George Foreman. Hey, give up. I said, I wouldn't go with him. Anyway, he said, no, no. Not the George Foreman, knew you know. He's now a preacher. What? Anyway, you know, he had his own church, all the rest of us. Anyway, yeah, I agreed to have lunch with him. He actually George phoned George and told him from my room and said, George, I want you to come and the hotel tomorrow, because he was coming to the fire anyway. He said, well, I've lunch with the guy. Remember the guy with the cigarette? George once said, Oh, him, yeah. <laughs> I nearly him once, yeah. <laughs> we had lunch. And in my bookcase, years later, George had a book. Oh, I must add, I was in the lobby of the hotel and suddenly I hear a voice say, Hey, you, put that out because I was still talking. And it was the benign George. And he wrote a book, and in the flyleaf, which I've got under lock and key, I hasten to add, it says, to Colin Hall, put that cigarette out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's
1: the history I'm being told. Yeah, and uh, probably twenty five years later, you end up in Atlantic City, and I think Prince Nassim Hamad was on a bit a bit of a mission because he was trying to drum up interest in the fight. He was made kind of nearly heading towards a split with Brendan Ingle. Probably, maybe at the time, disliked you because you were friendly with Brendan Ingle, I guess. Was Barry McGuigan made some comments about him, and he said, oh, "I wish Barry McGuigan was in my era because I would have done to him what I'm going to do to Wayne McCullough." And then he he was insulting you from the podium, wasn't he? At the uh, he called you Colin Fart, which was really uh, mis- yeah. Well, I never. I refused to write about it. Um, um, I, uh,
2: Sky wanted to interview me about it, and I said, "My readers aren't interested in my lousy ranting." He used to say he's the greatest fighter. And I used to say to my boss, who was a different boss, I had 20 odd sports editors in my time, and this particular guy, Dave Bamforth, Bamford, sorry, Bamforth, um, I said, I oh, wish he'd stop going on about being the great. I said, I saw four featherweights that would have beaten him. And he said, would you write it? I said, yeah, of course I would. So I wrote this piece, which he got right up his nose. And not only is he not the greatest fighter, he's not the greatest featherweight I've ever seen. And I picked four guys and explained why they would have all been. him. And uh, he, that's why he didn't mind. Like so So anyway, on that press conference in the Atlantic City, he came out with that. And I, I just ignored it. What he did, guys, the New York press wrote about it. They slaughtered it. In the New York press, and Ian Dark wanted to do an interview with me. With Sky, and said, "No, no, Ian, forget it." So I've always played, but see, I got to have my photographs a bit, uh, with sports people. You know, some of my colleagues are have been there, put in the paper, arms around each other. Yeah, my attitude has always been: the people, the few readers I may or may not have, they don't want to see pictures of me. They want to read or see pictures of the person I'm writing about. You know, I'm just I'm just a reporter. Yeah. You no, know, I'm not I'm not a star. They're the stars. So I've never had it done. You know, I would never collect an autograph. I wish I had a ten-pound note every time somebody said to me, Give me Hardy's autograph, for you? Well, no.
1: I'm myself. Do you recall who the four federates were that that uh, you saw who were greater than Prince Nassim? And also, do you, do you believe you know? Do you think he was onto something when he said he would have beaten Barry McGuigan?
2: i uh, do not about that. Really McGuigan was one of my four. The four men I beat: Zuma Nelson, Salvador Sanchez, uh, Salvador was the one who beat Winston? Um, Taldivar beat Winston three times, the Mexico. and the Jeff he was a featherweight. Um, those are normal form of being And <laughs> of course, Pereira ended up humiliating, loved his face along the top row <laughs> in Vegas.
1: Yeah, hey, guys we spoke about so we spoke about so many great Irish fighters from Dave Boy and you've been ringside at them all from Barry McGuigan all, all the way back to Tom Sharkey. So uh... sorry, sorry. Yeah. I said no. We've spoke about many of the great Irish fighters now from Barry McGuigan back to Dave Boy to Steve Collins and you've been ringside for them all all the way back to Tom Sharkey. Sure, I
2: mean you come back. I mean obviously uh, Fitzsimmons had Irish ancestors. <laughs> yeah, Then she had. I mean, uh, I mean, there's so many Irish American fighters. And were you ringside for them all?
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Were you ringside for them all? Yes. Yeah. The one I missed was Sullivan. I had to do my homework. <laughs> uh, you can blame Richard Maynard for putting me up to that one. <laughs> I was telling him you were coming you know, on. You know, I was speaking to him the other day, uh, telling him that you are coming mm-hmm. on. So he was, uh, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: I mean, he's, uh, he's with the Newfoundland now. Mm. I don't know. It was
1: only twenty-eight oh. years. You oh, got boxer on Sky. Any yeah, strong? we'll see how they go. Mm-hmm. Boxer on Sky. We'll see how they go. Yeah, well,
2: they got a uh, long call So mm. they're just starting from ground zero.
1: Well, yeah. I'll I'll leave it here with this now. Uh, and you were inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2013, and yeah. said, "I know what it's like to win an Oscar." Now, it must have been a great event for you. You were inducted alongside Arturo Gatti. Virgil Hill and Youngwoo you uh, plus Mills Lane and Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Lennon Jr. as well. So.
2: Oh, Mills Lane, that's you know, a stroke, in a bad way. Um, no, I mean, you know, to be selected by your peers, um, you know, I was really um, very, I mean, it's a cliche to say I was moved. I, I was thrilled to be nominated to be uh you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Also, because I have a foot in the United States, I'm married to an American, my children are dual national, and my grandchildren are dual national. So, I like to think I'm quarter American, if not half American, if you like. Uh, And I love America, I have a love-hate relationship, with quite a lot of it, because of their gun laws and whatever, terrifying. Um, I mean, my late father in law, bless him in Tennessee, used to have, used to have loaded, poor handled revolvers in the house. And I once said to him, HK, I mean, everybody does, they do call each other by uh, their Instagram down there. He said, HK, so who do you think you are, General Patton? Because he used to have poor handled revolvers either side of him. The- I mean, they all got guns, everyone neighbours. So I was so thrilled to be inducted into that uh, Hall of Fame and had an incredible weekend.
1: And when you look at some of the people who were there who are no longer with us, uh, I was just checking some of the, the guest list for that weekend, like Hall of Famers, Marvin Hagler, like Don Shargan, Jake LaMotta, Aaron Pryor, uh, Leon Spinks. I mentioned them because th- that gang are no longer with us. There's many more who were. You were there as well, but all, all those young fighters not no longer with us. Well, Don, Don Shargan, an older man. But.
2: Don Shargan
1: was a wonderful, uh, wonderful guy
2: and a great, great promoter. He was, um, he used to uh, match made for Iron in Eden, the only, at that time, the only woman promoter in America. She used to, uh, she used to promote in the Olympic Auditorium. And um, where poor Johnny Allen had his last fight you know against Pinto and uh Chargin, um was telling me one night there was a two Mexicans fighting and they didn't like the decision because many all the crowd the measure. They didn't know lie they said, quite oh, wow. Well that's that's how you do it. Um, <laughs> um, um I mean um, the experience is a, you know what, well, I don't know, I mean, I suppose I've got to be considered the right father was saying this, but I doubt if there are the characters around boxing today like they used to be, when I was a young man. You know, I mean, Al Braverman, who was a, worked with Don King, who was a fight promoter, and he was an antique dealer, and people used to say to him, what's new, Al? And he used to go crazy. Don't ask me what's new. on an anti-dealer.
1: <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing is new at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're all. They're all great characters. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the amount of laughs. I mean, Honest Bill Daly, he was a fight manager and he was also part of the mafia. He was a friend of Car- Frankie Carver when the mafia were in boxing. And uh, he was complaining one day about modern day boxing and characters or lack of them, and how I used to go about the business years ago and he'd say years ago used to throw a of cocktail
1: through the window, now it's lawyers, lawyers, lawyers Absolutely Yeah, They've got the the briefcase and that's more damaging than any uh, gun can be at this stage Yeah, yeah uh, Colin, Colin Hart I think we'll, we'll leave it there we've heard so many great stories I've taken up so much of your time I uh, thanks
2: I told you before we started I could talk boxing all day or night, but, uh, you but not but sometimes you've got to stop
1: it's been a pleasure to talk boxing with you today uh, much appreciated and uh, Kevin it's been my pleasure as well thanks a lot